Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new episode of Press YYZ, your favorite Canadian gaming podcast. You can catch the show weekly on youtube.com slash pressyz, live on twitch.tv slash pressyz, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. EST, like right now, or on your own time on your podcast service of choice. Uh, Before we get started, a reminder, as always, that we here at PressYZ stand against discrimination of any kind. While we appreciate however you choose to back our show, there's no better way to support us than by being excellent to each other. Uh, On today's episode of PressYZ, it's the Nintendo 64's 25th anniversary, which means that we are going to be going over uh, our favorite memories of the Big N's little machine that could. Uh, But before we do that, let's introduce our fellow host for this evening. I'm joined today by Nathan McInerney. Yo, what's going on? It's uh, been a fun week. I'm glad I was able to be here with you guys. Hell yeah. And of course, uh, by the one and only AJ Fraser. Howdy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Nathan, a second ago, you mentioned that you're uh, glad to be here. Uh, originally, you were planning on appearing on Three Dads and a console this week, correct? Yes, um, I was, and that still may be happening this week, uh, just not today. So, uh, Court, hmm. one of the co-hosts, uh, had his second vaccination today and just uh, not feeling great. So Understandable. I, uh, I was very fortunate in that I uh, was able to reschedule my uh, second vaccination date to be, I think, two, maybe two and a half-ish months earlier than what it was supposed to be. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to it, but it is a second Moderna dose. And I've heard from a lot of people through the grapevine that the second Moderna dose is supposed to be pretty rough. So you, you had you had Moderna first? Yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my girlfriend Rachel had Pfizer first. Um and got her second vaccine happened to be Moderna based on supply issues, which the mRNA vaccines are kind of interchangeable at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had a really bad next day, had to take Monday off uh, for that. Um, her brother got the Pfizer first and then the Moderna, I believe, and had no symptoms afterwards mm. the next day. So... Who, who can say? Yeah. Uh, recently, I uh, I made the decision to switch over to do Cosverse Cooking on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. This upcoming Friday's installment of Cosverse Cooking is going to be the last Cosverse Cooking on a Friday. Uh, and it works out because conveniently, uh, my next vaccine is going to be on a Friday. So I have that day and theoretically the rest of the weekend to rest and recover. Uh, getting back to the topic on hand, though, regardless of when you're going to be recording with three dads and a console, Nathan, uh, you have every intention of playing a little bit of Mario Golf uh, this week, which is pretty exciting because it's a brand new game that looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, coming out Friday. So once again, I felt it was best to switch my streaming day to Friday uh, so that we can play that new game. I've moved that day around a bit. Uh, I'm hoping to get back into the thursday's schedule because we'll be playing mary golf for a few weeks and i'm hoping that we can get some guests on um for like the next month or so playing it with us so we'll see how we'll see what we do there um but yeah that that's my intent to get it back to thursdays but with the game coming out on friday i figured let's move the let's move it to friday so cool 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 
Uh, I'm also going to be playing something on Monday at 8 p.m. EST. Uh, TBD on what it is might be probably something on my Xbox Series X. I need to really scour through the Series X's library, see what uh, cool stuff is waiting for me to play there. I think I'll find something good, but TBD. Uh, until Can I make then, a suggestion? Oh, sure. Uh, like a Dragon, Yakuza, now available. Uh, people have recommended the Yakuza series to me many times. I'm trying to, like, I, I specifically was thinking something more along the lines of something that I can play with other people oh, competitively well then, or cooperatively. Um, but f- for certain, I, I, I have no, like, I have absolute faith that I'm going to thoroughly enjoy the Yakuza games. And I just, I need to figure out the right circumstance to kind of finally sit down and indulge in those games. Um, without further ado, let's talk a little bit about what we have been up to this week. Uh, Nathan, uh, you recently had a very special memory as a parent, uh, become formed and lodged into your brain because, uh, some member of your family may have gotten their first platinum. Yeah. Uh, recently, like actually we're talking like an hour ago an hour and a half ago, maybe two. Um, my son, so I've been playing Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. We talked a bit about it last week. I have now double finished the game and uh, platinumed it and like redone challenge mode, maxed every weapon out to 10, fully completed it uh, as far as you can go. So, but my son was playing the game because uh, he was really interested in it. I don't normally let him touch the PS5 because uh, they have my PS4 Pro upstairs, but as this is a PS5 only game, I let him play on my console downstairs. Uh, so yeah, this is him. Uh, I secretly recorded him from behind as he was doing the last stupid trophy in this game. Uh, this is the worst trophy, by the way. Um, he cheesed it a little bit cause he had, uh, the unlimited ammo and limited life unlocked, which made it quite a bit easier. Hey, you do what you gotta do. Yeah. Um, there we go. He did it. He's Good for him. Very excited about his first platinum. Uh, he was really working hard and getting all the trophies. He asked for a little bit of my help from time to time. Um, but he was super proud of himself. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a nice little moment. I've recorded it for posterity. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, uh, but Ratchet and Clank's a baner of a game. It's really, really solid. Probably up there is my game of the year. I was curious, Cozy, I don't think I've heard you talk about Ratchet and Clank. What's your history with it? Mm-hmm. Um, Ratchet and Clank is one of those, uh, video game series that I've always been aware of. Uh, I actually had a friend that had like a big, um, poster of Ratchet and Clank deadlocked, uh, plastered up on their wall that I used to see all the time. Um, it it was a series that never really kind of naturally found its way into my life, uh, until a couple of years ago, I played, the first Ratchet and Clank game that released on the PlayStation 3, not a crack in time, the one before Tools it. of Destruction. Tools of Destruction, that's correct. Yeah. And yep. I don't know, I, I played like a couple of hours of it and I was like, hmm, like this feels to like Super Mario Galaxy or like a Nintendo platform or what like DreamWorks sometimes feels like to Pixar. Now, I, I will say, I do know that like uh, from... After the first couple of hours, apparently Tools of Destruction goes down some interesting narrative paths, and I did not get to said narrative path, so I don't feel like my, you know, time with that game was at all a fair evaluation of, you know, what it is that that experience has to offer, but 
the the two hours that I played of it at the beginning did not grip me. And after that, I just never really got, never really felt inclined to play another game. Right, that's fair. Uh, AJ, what about you? Yes. Unmuting my microphone is what I'm doing. Um, no, yeah. Uh, after after the events of last last week, I guess last weekend, the previous weekend, uh, I've I've kind of fallen back into Halo again. I know, shocker. Um, yeah, it it's good. Halo's good. <laughs> I'm Your brain is about, struggling to process the magnitude that is Halo. Yeah, you can barely speak. Okay, so. So yeah, so how this this sort of happened was, um, you know, you you watch a new trailer for the new game, you want to get reacclimated to the old games a little bit and play around with them, and the trailers also got uh, some other friends uh, interested in playing too. So I've been playing uh, just some classic, you know, like Halo Three multiplayer stuff, um, just like the old days. And there's been something very good and fun and nostalgic uh, about that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's it, it's hard to explain. Like, I don't know. I'm only slightly worried about, like, the new one. Not because, um, you know, not because I think it's going to be bad necessarily. But are... Are kids today going to appreciate hate like a new Halo the way I appreciated a new Halo back in the day? Mm. Probably not. And so it's like like our, our our film baby Alex Ballant is the exception to that, of course. Um, but I don't know. It's it's one of those. It's like both of its time and just still also in some aspects feels super modern and fresh in a lot of instances okay okay yeah um yeah i don't know that me personally i i like i like doing doing the warthog stuff on like the old maps and all that um and, and i i'm i'm more of a fan of the big team rather than super competitive um so i like the so more social aspect of um multiplayer halo uh and playing around that way but um you can see in this in this clip uh, live on twitch.tv slash press yyz i'm being driven around by somebody with the tag btc for bitcoin so hmm. you know they're they're a super fan there but um I'm, yeah it i mean I, i'm hoping that your house doesn't go up in flames now yeah maybe maybe it will maybe it won't maybe my xbox is now subtly mining mining bitcoin and i don't know it who can say well and, and that's an interesting thought process because, like, I think it's all clear that I'm pretty new to the Xbox ecosystem, just getting my mm -hmm. Xbox. I've talked about that before. But a lot of the yeah. discourse I've heard around Halo has been they really need to knock it out of the park this time mm -hmm. because the last two entries have been middling and they're not getting the same amount of hype. And, like, I don't know if play is the right word, but it really didn't do at the Xbox One any, like, there wasn't a huge bump because of Halo. Yeah, it, it the hard well the hard part was Halo Four was fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, there's you know I enjoyed it just fine. 
I thought it was good enough, but something about it didn't quite have that magic um, that the original trilogy did, or even let's just call it the Bungie Halos, right? Yeah. Which, which includes ODST and includes Reach as well. Um, it didn't quite have the same magic to it, um, like uh, pre like those previous iterations did. And then five came out, and it was also fine. I'm the five apologist uh, between me and Balant, um, in that I don't mind sprint. I don't mind aiming down sights like the other games. In fact, I find it to be super convenient to not have to relearn a control scheme that's similar but different enough like because traditional uh halo controls are you click in the right stick um and that zooms in your your aim yeah right which is is fine for what it is but then the um every every other game especially a shoot first person shooter out there is you know a left trigger right trigger right you aim down your sights and then you shoot um, and they sort of do this in five, the pseudo uh, aim down sights where if you have a scope on your gun, like a sniper rifle, yes, it goes through the scope. Um, but really all it does is kind of like focus the gun rather than like make you aim down sights normally mm -hmm. for the majority of them. Um, and and it's a, I think it's a good in between. And from what what it sounds like is they're going to be doing something similar to that. Um, in infinite but um i totally lost the thread and my train of thought i'm just so <laughs> waxed over with nostalgia and admiration for for the for these games like um yeah i i just love them yeah They're great in addition ahead, to you uh, playing Halo multiplayer, were you also playing the campaign for Halo 1 as well? Because I noticed that that was amongst yeah. your recordings. So, yeah, so I was doing a little bit of that. Um, you know, just when I was playing by myself, I was doing that. And, uh, and then I'd get the itch for a little multiplayer as well. Um, and I, I just going through for fun. Eventually, before Infinite comes out, so over the, the course of the summer, um, I will... It, on my own own time kind of play through uh the series again somehow when i when i can make the time for it so hmm. um that that is my plan i mean kudos to you I, I saw footage of the one level that you were playing and i'm like i i don't know in what universe i would ever play that specific level again but uh, i'm glad <laughs> that you're able to get enjoyment out of doing so yeah yeah no and uh I, I, I mean, to be fair, I wasn't getting that much enjoyment. Like, that level is actually really, really good. Repetitive, but keep in mind that's the time it came out in. But mm -hmm. um, it, it's it's actually a super cool level where you get a tank and everything like that for the first time. Um, and it's called, the, it's called the Assault on the Control Room for the, the audio listeners. Um, it's that level. Um, and I, I'm, I would... I was actually there just playing it on heroic and I actually have a hard time with heroic. It's not, I don't, I don't find it fun to play on hard difficulties necessarily. And that was just a very satisfying clip that you played there uh, where, where I got that elite that came out with the sword on that bridge and with that, I got him with the needler, but yeah. 
yeah, Halo. I'm glad. Cool. Uh, I'm glad you were able to nail that guy with the needler. Yeah, it was truly it a memorable worked. moment. Uh, it was. I myself have been in kind of a Final Fantasy VII remake hole over the course of the past few weeks, um, which obviously we all know because I've uh, brought this up many times on the past couple of episodes. Uh, however, that uh, Final Fantasy VII remake hole is a hole that yours truly is finally beginning to climb out of with my Fisher-Price shovel because... Uh, I finally managed to platinum it on PlayStation 4, uh, which meant that yours truly uh, could uh, then proceed to get the double platinum for it on the PlayStation 5 edition of uh, the game. And so, yeah, that's something that happened. I am... Uh, it was a lot of work, but overall, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with my work there. Um, the main thing about uh, getting the Platinum for Final Fantasy VII Remake is you have to play the game again on hard mode. Uh, and what mm -hmm. that means is that in addition to enemies, you know, getting a little bit tougher, taking more damage, uh, you yourself uh, being a little bit frailer, um, you also cannot use items while in combat or out of combat. Uh, and it definitely kind of like beyond making the game harder, definitely changes up the feel of each of the levels and forces you to kind of like think a little bit more strategically and use techniques that you might not have previously thought to use on pre your previous run of the game, which I really did appreciate, uh, quite particularly. I think the, the best hard modes in games are hard modes that like are, are less about, let's just make everything spongier and more about let's like force you to think differently than before. Um, and so with the double platinum of Final Fantasy VII Remake out of the way, uh, I finally went ahead and purchased and have started playing Final Fantasy VII Episode Intermission, uh, the uh, DLC uh, series of missions for Final Fantasy VII Remake, where you play as Yuffie, uh, the ninja girl from the Wutai uh, tribe, who has come to Midgar, the central location of Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, to steal the ultimate materia. Uh, I can't say too much else, uh, partially because I don't want to spoil things, but also because I have not gotten that much further in the story to say what else is going on in the story. Uh, I will say, thus far, uh, episode intermission has been uh, real great. Uh, there are all sorts of uh, very, very, very uh, clever, some subtle, not, some not so subtle references to the events and characters of the main version of Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, including, uh, if you're watching the version of the stuff on, on Twitch, um, something that is happening right now, uh, if Yuffie attempts to enter this one bar. Again, this is actually a pretty big spoiler for Final Fantasy VII Remake, if you know what's oh, going oh. on here. Uh, oh, no. But if you don't, don't know, what's, know going, what's going, if you don't know what's going on here, it's you. Uh, it's not totally clear what's going on. Is this is this is this the one where where a, a main character dies? Uh, is this what happens? Is this how how it happens? I mean, some characters do die by the end of Final Fantasy VII Ooh. Remake, but I don't know if I would call them main characters. Okay. <sighs> Everything going all right, Nathan? Yeah, I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Are we done? Okay. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. It's. Haven't yeah, it's the okay. first game yet. I, I was concerned because the way that you were covering your eyes, you seem to be like just uh, awash with sadness, at least from my perspective, but you were just trying to avoid spoilers. Yeah, that's all. Right. all. Cool. Um, so quick, funny little detail about episode intermission. Um, they introduced a new mini game in episode intermission called uh, Camp Condor, which is sort of like a like it's kind of like almost like a Beyblade or Bakugan Bakugan. Uh, man, I, I said in the um, 
Twitter announcement for this episode, we were going to mispronounce words. I did not expect Bakugan to be the first one. Um, <laughs> it's like one of those like, you know, collectible, like little like figurine based games where like you have like a small little arena and basically you put these little figurines on them and you use them to battle other people. And it's super funny because in the base version of Final Fantasy VII Remake, nobody is talking about uh, Camp Condor, like it, it might as well just not exist. And then in episode intermission, which takes place concurrent to the events of Final Fantasy VII Remake, literally everybody in town is like, oh man, have you tried out the new Camp Condor expansion? Hey, Yuffie, do you want to challenge me to Camp Condor? Yuffie, you seem like somebody who's experienced at Camp Condor. Let me show off my skills. And it's really funny. And I'm definitely looking forward to playing a lot more Camp Condor. Whew. I've heard a lot about Camp Condor um, since episode intermission came out. Um, people seem to be really positive and some people want it spinned off as their own game. So. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to imagine that Camp Condor was probably, I don't have any like inside information myself into Camp Condor. Maybe there's an interview out there that explains the situation. You'd have to imagine it was probably like some pet project that some people at Square Enix were working on. And they're like, mm, this doesn't feel substantial enough to flesh out into its own game. But what if we put it as like a little bonus thing in episode intermission? And I'm happy yeah. that people are really taking to it because, yeah, I'd definitely be interested uh, at the very least in like a standalone version of Camp Condor. At the yeah. very most, it'd be cool to have like an actual physical representation of the game. Uh Outside of um, the realm of Final Fantasy, uh, I do also want to mention very briefly that I've been going through and watching every single Pixar movie that uh, I missed over the years. A after watching Toy Story 3 in 2010, I kind of fall off, fell off on watching Pixar movies. Uh, and so I'm finally kind of getting caught up on the uh, company's filmography. Um, I I'm just curious, have either of you seen The Good Dinosaur? Uh, yes. Mm, it rings a bell, but I don't think I've seen it. I you wouldn't remember it if you did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is the uh, the Pixar movie that uh was released in 2015. It's um it's such a like talk about a really weird movie. Uh going into it, if you had told me, "Oh man, Cozy, uh Pixar's a good dinosaur is going to remind you heavily of Death Stranding the entire way through." I would have been like, "Nah, you're lying." But like that movie is straight up Death Stranding just replaced Norman Reedus with the dinosaur and the fetus with hmm. the kid that he cares after. Like the the whole movie is like I'm traveling across this terrain to make my way back home and I'm constantly dealing primarily not with like other villains or like, you know, more traditional uh, foibles that Pixar protagonists are confronted with, but just the environment being like really slippery and there being these rainstorms that cause... Uh, significant grievances and obstacles for the heroes it's a it, it certainly was an experience and i'm glad that i got to watch it but i don't know if i'm ever gonna watch it again i, I remember the good dinosaur in that it was the same year that up came out i believe no uh, up came out no. like in 2008 good dinosaur was 2015 oh not up not up um the one with the emotions Oh, um, uh, inside out, right. inside out, inside which out, I, which I also watched much better. Definitely a good time. 
Um, if, if I'm correct with that lineage, it came out inside out, came out, then the good dinosaur came out and it was like no comparison. Yeah. Um, Pixar misses very, very rarely. And there's like, I'd probably say it's under 25% of the films that miss and the good dinosaur just is one of those misses for me personally, at least. And I think that's critically and the typical feedback on it. So, yeah, it is at the very least though. I feel like it's a more it's a more interesting and enjoyable failure than I feel like something like Cars 2, which I mean, Cars 2, I feel, tells a much more coherent story. It actually feels way more like a movie where dinosaurs, uh, sorry, the good dinosaur felt more like a tone piece than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just feel like the combination of visuals and the weird pacing, it, it much like Death Stranding, I feel like it it's unlike anything else out there. And I, I do appreciate it for that. Um, but at the end of the day, you're right, Nathan, that inside out is great. And it's uh, definitely among Pixar's best. I don't know that it's among my personal uh, favorites uh, from the company, but that was a comparatively much better watch. Whew. All right. Sorry for spiking the mic a little second there, but I want to get the energy up a little bit because uh, the Nintendo 64 came out 25 years ago to this day. It's a lot of time. Was that here or Japan? Uh, It's Japan. It came out in the... uh... It came out in I think it came out in September in North America. It, it, in North America, it, it probably will not surprise you to know that this is not like a uh, anniversary that I was particularly you would say like familiar with. Yeah, if, uh, well, not fam- not that I wasn't familiar with it, but I wasn't like really anticipating it. Uh, yeah. And so when I September twenty ninth, yeah, when I saw yeah. on Twitter, oh okay, it's the it's a good day. It's the um, anniversary of the Nintendo 64's uh, release. It like I was like, all right, cool, sounds good. Not something that I particularly was you know looking forward to, but yeah. Uh, if you live in the EU or Australia, uh, your Nintendo 64 25th anniversary is going to be next year, on account of the fact that it launched on March 1st in those territories. By the way, uh, so yeah. I wanted to kind of turn over the rest of today's episode to just kind of going over each of our individual Nintendo 64 memories. Um, I feel like I've been talking for quite a bit now about both the Final Fantasies, Camp Condors, and the Good Dinosaurs. So, AJ, I'd like to turn the floor to you to kick off our N64 conversation. Unlike unlike most most days, I uh, I came prepared. Um, this thing here <gasps> that I'm holding up is a notebook from way back in 1997. Actually, that's when all this stuff is dated. Um, it, it it was mostly a, a like a school assignment journal, um, where I would write down a bunch of. Uh, you know, just whatever the teacher, whatever the teacher asked, like, oh, did you do something fun on the weekend and blah, blah, right? And you'd write that sort of stuff down, it's your typical stuff. Um, there's there's a couple, um, couple things here that, uh, little excerpts, if you will, um, that I would like to uh, present, present to the class, if you will. 
All right. All right. Um, hit, hit us up. So th- this this was in 97, so a full year after it came out. If I remember correctly, I got the N64 for Christmas in 96. Um, yeah, so I was playing a lot of N64 back then. Uh, September 17th, 97. If I were a superhero, I would be Mario, and I would will fight Bowser. And I'm just going to hold that up in a way that my background thing doesn't... If you want to bring that full screen, you can, Cozy. Yeah, sure. Just so they can see this wonderful artwork. Uh, um, a second. Yep, oh. you lose the button. Uh, no, I, I figured that I would have to adjust something when I brought things that full is, screen. That is a, a, a full screen picture of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seeing on the feed. There we yeah. go. Can you hold uh, it up a little your, bit closer to the camera? There. Uh, maybe, if it Hopefully it doesn't key it out too much. It's a little, yeah, I, little, yeah. You can I mean, see it. B- Bowser so looks. Mario. Bowser looks more like a, a Stegosaurus. A Stegosaurus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, else. he's standing on all four legs, probably because you know what? This is probably Mario grabbing him by the tail. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And spinning him, and so he would be. That is how he would. Yeah. He would be. Makes sense. Um. So. Going through this, um, there's a, you know, there's some sad things in here because this is also the time my parents were going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, so I needed, I, this is, this is the origin of my video game escapism. This, this book right here, this, this is, points you back to it. Um, so a, another uh, excerpt here that I want to point out. Um, I'm not sure the context of it, but it's says here uh, and it's all out of order because i was seven um i wanted to be yoshi okay and then this looks like teachers writing one video game something and then yoshi but it's a good yoshi it's a it's a good yoshi and if um do do you know what the teacher was trying to say I have no idea. This was 25, 24 years ago. Is it possible that they were trying to say like, hey, you can only talk about one video game? Like you, you're talking about yeah. too many video games in this it's, journal? and It's possible. I could have been talking about Mario. I could have been talking about Mario Kart. Too many video games. Hmm. Those were, I think those were my only video games at the time, really. Uh, there, may have been, there may have been a couple others, but I don't quite remember. Um, but yeah, if you, uh, if you see here, there's Yoshi at the top of the castle in, uh, Super Mario 64, when he gives you, um, all, all the lives, all of the lives. He gives you all the lives if you get up there. Yes. Right. Maxes out your lives. That's true. So Yoshi's the ultimate cheat code. Did you, um, I'm curious back in the day, did you kind of ascribe to any of the weird conspiracy theories, uh, surrounding Luigi and his absence slash possible inclusion in super mario 64 l is real yeah that that kind of stuff um back then i had no idea i did like of that stuff i had no access to internet back then really Mm. um and so all that sort of stuff sort of eluded me um there was a um what was it uh 
we we back then we had a neighbor um and it uh it, it was a, a family of three um and the dad uh i would actually go over to their house as friend friends of uh their their daughter um who was like a year or two younger than me and i would play n64 with their with her dad and um uh he is where i got all my cool super mario 64 secrets and stuff like that and hmm. i'd bring over my cartridge and he'd help me sometimes try and get a star or something like that and you know if i was stuck on something and still to this day i i've i've never beaten the uh the final bowser myself oh really um and i've never gotten 120 stars in it but you know you were gonna say something uh, i was gonna say he helped you out with the penguin that was constantly crying yes uh maybe i i i pro my early memories of that penguin are throwing him off the cliff i would say they better as, be throwing him off the cliff yeah even as a six seven year old that is absolutely what it was um but also like like the little things that felt like secrets back then were the the hole in the wall like in that in that level you're referring to there's the the race with the the big penguin down mm. the the slide and there's a secret hole in the wall that you use to get to the bottom um and and get one of the stars um and that felt like a big deal because it was absolutely hidden it was just a a, a texture with no geometry that you would just speed through um but yeah those that that is some of my earliest memories with um with it there that's yeah it, it speaks to i just want to say it speaks to the annoyingness of the penguin that we still to this very day get memes uh about that penguin on the social mm -hmm. medias yeah so i guess mm -hmm. shout out to the people at nintendo for making a character oh so memorable uh, i do want to just say here very briefly that like a nintendo 64 memory that i don't have uh, or at least not in the traditional sense, is Super Mario 64, in that uh, I did oh. play that game, and I did, I got like yep. 120 or so stars in it, and, and, you know, and did the whole kit and caboodle, uh, but I only played it uh, after the fact on the Wii Virtual Console, um, mm. which was a totally fine way to play it on said console, go Wii, uh, but yeah, the, a cartridge of that game never fell into my lap during my time with my N64. Uh, before I you know, divulge what my N64 memories were like, though. I do want to ask you, Nathan, like, what about you? What were your specifically Mario 64 memories like, if you had any? Uh, and what were the rest of uh, your memories involving the console like? So Mario 64, I didn't. So my N64, I think I got for Christmas after it launched. So I was a little late to the party. Um, that being said, um, I played Mario 64. I got all 120 stars. I got on the roof. I beat Bowser. I did everything. Um, so like that part, um, like is good. But one of my memories that I always think about is before I got my console and you remember they'd have like demo kiosks in the stores. I would go into Walmart when I was with the friends of my mall and we would just play the demo kiosk over and over and over again in the Walmart. Um, and it would reset every like eight or nine minutes. 
So the goal was to see how far we could get in Mario 64 in eight or nine minutes every single time and get faster. And every once in a while, we would have parents come over and they would ask us, they're like your kids. What do you think my son would want? Um, I believe the PlayStation had just come out and I'd be and she'd be like, do you think he want a Nintendo 64 or a PlayStation? I'm like, oh, you, you want the Nintendo 64. It's got Mario. That's 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 the way to go. Hmm. So, um, I sold a bunch of Nintendo 64s, um, before I was technically allowed to, or at a place that didn't work. I was probably allowed to work there. Um, just because I was telling parents, this was what they should get for their kids based hmm. on this one game. Um, this, that's how this, good was it was. A, this was around the launch of the Nintendo 64, right? Yes. Yeah, it was. So they launched in September 29th, I believe we said. Um, so like during that holiday season, I'd just be around that demo kiosk a lot when I was in the mall playing that game. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't speak authoritatively to the uh, launch lineup of the original PlayStation, the PSX, as it were. Um, but like, I don't know that there was like a big killer app for that console at the time, the way that uh, the Nintendo 64 had Mario 64. So I feel like you weren't being unfair in promoting the hell out of the N64. Oh yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think the killer apps for the PlayStation came down the line. Um, and it was once, I guess final fantasy seven probably would have been the first big, big thing that made you want to have that system. Maybe metal gear and metal gear, of course, gear? which came out in 1998. Yeah. So that's when it turned a corner. And I think after, for me, and we can come back to this um, down in a bit, but one of the reasons I went away from that console was the lack of Japanese RPGs hmm. and um, coming to, uh, like, and they were all going to PlayStation. Like, the PlayStation 1 is a Japanese RPG machine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And none of that ever quite hit the uh, N64. Well, I mean, let's get right into it. Like, what would you say, you know, the Nintendo 64 launches in 1996, like around what year, what month would you say it was when you were like, hmm, th the lack of like role playing games on the Nintendo 64 is really beginning to become a problem for me. Probably took a year or two. And I think probably the bigger thing, I think I've brought this up before on the podcast, but I was an avid subscriber to Nintendo Power. Um so like the N64 was the Ultra 64 to me. They even had advertisements with the Ultra 64 logo in the in the like page uh, or in the magazine. And they showed screenshots for Final Fantasy 64. So I held out mm. hope for a long time. Wow. And they were like little chibi characters. Um, and then Final Fantasy 7 hit. Uh, what was that? 97. All right. Uh, 1997 eight. final fantasy seven was it seven or eight uh, i swear it was eight uh i'm pulling up right now all right uh january Just 31st like 97 i'm seeing oh, it on wikipedia yeah, that is correct i thought it was a i thought it was a 98 game because 98 is like one of those years because like ocarina came out that year hmm. so um, anyway, so like it came out that year and I just couldn't play it. Um, it eventually came to PC and that's where I ended up playing it on PC because I didn't have a PlayStation. I didn't get a PlayStation for a few more years after that. Um, but, uh, because at that point my parents were buying things for me, 
um, when I got a little bit older, I was like, okay, I need to buy a PlayStation. I need to catch up on these games that I missed out on. But there is definitely like some remorse in the N64's overall lineup um, and what was coming to it. I'm curious, did you try to play any of the N64's few RPGs like Quest 64, for example? I definitely played Quest 64. It was not a great game. I rented it. This is still when you could go to the Blockbuster and rent things. Um, so Quest 64 wasn't great. Um, I'm trying to think else. What other RPGs were there? There was... Oh, I remember Ogre Batter, Battle 64 when that came to the Virtual Console, like getting a huge pop. But that that's that always struck me as one of those games that like people really in the know knew about, but it didn't really receive like a big kind of marketing push the way that something like quest 64 did oh you know it was okay i was gonna bring this up anyways because it's kind of an rpg but it's and not. there is there is also of course like i mean it's very very comparatively basic but paper mario of course yeah paper mario i was gonna bring up hybrid heaven which that i've is, talked about before that is that is one of the games that i always picked up and looked at at on the like shelf of the blockbuster jumbo video rental store um and put back down and found something else because <laughs> um, i was a child and judging books by its cover yeah and like i'm looking at the review the reception for it and it's mixed and all over the place for hybrid heaven some of it's like 30 out of 40 7.5 out of 10 and then GameSpot has a 4.1 out of 10 ign has a 7 out of 10 for it so like it's kind of all mixed over mixed up, but it was really cool because it was kind of like you were invading the secret um um like secret base uh where there's like if I'm remember correctly, aliens or like in this case clones, I believe. Mm. Um and you can run around and everything, but when you get into battles, it kind of feels like a 3D fighting game, but you can like choose the moves that you want to do and you can level them up. And it, I mean, like, I'm kind of shocked because looking at this footage, this is incredibly reminiscent of it, like a modern action RPG like Final Fantasy VII Remake, right down to when you choose your action, time briefly slows down and stops. And you can, like you said, like choose different actions, some of which are like more evolved or stronger versions of existing actions. Just a random pile driver like that. That's that's interesting. It, wow. it, it was a really cool game. I think it was probably ahead of its time. Um, this is a Konami title. I've talked about it before on the podcast, but it's always one of those games that sticks out as a, like one of these hidden gems for the N64, which nobody talks about. Yeah. Um, uh, I should find a way to emulate this game and play because let's be honest, Konami's not re-releasing it. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it was a super fun game. I I, I had a good time with it. Um, and it's one of those, it satisfied my want for the RPG formula. Um, and the whole reason I picked it up, I think was based on IGN's review at the time. So. Really? Because I'm, you, you mentioned that the IGN review got like a 7 out of 10. Was it more just them describing what the game is than the score itself? Yeah, it wasn't about the score. It was about reading the content for mm. me. And I was like, you know what? I would need something with J like RPG elements. And this is probably the best I can do hmm. uh, on the system. So what hmm. quest 64 probably would have 
got you there. I don't know. It's it, but it was a pan game universally right across the board. Yeah, mm. that's true. Did you ever were you ever somebody that ascribed to the idea that the Legend of Zelda games are RPGs? No, they're action adventure games. So I believe that it was Paris Schneider uh, of IGN that talked about this. Um, I believe this is like as part of like a podcast uh, reminiscing on the anniversary of Ocarina of Time, how the whole like the Legends of the series is an RPG thing was actually something started by Nintendo during the Nintendo 64 era. Um, they, you know, looked around the room and saw that, you know, clearly the Nintendo 64 does not have the uh, depth of role playing experiences that the PlayStation has. And to compensate for that, they basically like partially marketed Ocarina of Time as an RPG so as to kind of like help shore uh, things up and make it look like their catalog of RPGs was more boisterous than it actually was. Well, and Ocarina of Time was a huge game. Um, And I remember we got that when it came out. But it wasn't it didn't scratch that itch of an RPG. I really liked it when I played it. Oh, yeah, for Um, sure. Except that stupid water temple. Um, yeah. Thinking oh rot in hell. Yep. Um, <laughs> but like it, it was a great game, but it wasn't RPG. There was no leveling up. There was no, I like, right. I know it's an outdated mechanic now, but I actually enjoyed grinding back in the day. There was just mm. something methodical about walking around like an area and grinding levels out. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's one of those interesting things where, like, to this day, people still go back and forth, you know, is Zelda an RPG? Is it not? Certainly, there have been a lot of, like, RPG-like mechanics that have been added to the series over time, uh, particularly when you look at something like The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, for example. Um, but, Great like, game. it's interesting how, uh, like, how this is sort of, like, an argument that was you know, that came about not even like naturally to begin with, that it was actually something that Nintendo was pushing for. Well, <sighs> and it's a spin, right? Like you need to spin where you don't have the stuff um, and try right. and make it look like you do. Uh, like they're probably looking at this and they know that they're losing people to the PlayStation, especially after Final Fantasy VII comes out because Orcarina would have come out or Ocarina would have come out the year after Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, 1998. Um, yeah, so they're probably looking at everything going, okay, we're losing a lot to Final Fantasy VII. Like, that thing had print ads. It had TV commercials. It was mm. getting mainstream press. And then you had smaller titles like Suikoden and um, Wild Arms and yeah. uh, Breath of Fire 3, I think, uh, jumped from... Uh, yeah, jump, Breath of Fire 3 jumped to PlayStation. Yeah, and the original Persona. Yes, yes, the original Persona. I remember watching a kid play that in Microplay. And I was very confused by it at the time. Fucking actually microplay. Holy shit. Yeah. I've not thought of microplay. In, oh my God. They no longer exist in Quebec. Um, but I think that some still exist in Ontario. There's still some kicking around. I pat, I drive by one every once in a while. You should go in. Um, they're completely different than where they used to be or than what they used yeah. to be though. A Canadian video chain. Yeah, um, it, 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 they've definitely gone over a couple of iterations over the past few years, particularly over the past year, I would think. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah for sure. We're, we're varying uh, pretty off topic from the N64 talk. Uh, I do want to just yep. very quickly ask, did you ever play the original Persona, Nathan? 
No, uh, Persona I didn't get into till it came to Vita. Uh, mm. The Golden 4, that's where I kind of found it. So, um, but I haven't played it. It is on this awesome thing. Ooh. So that's right. I remember now. And it was uh, it was kind of, of a kerfuffle because everyone's like, well, why why have that RPG on it when you're not getting some other more popular RPGs on the console? But you could always mod it. Yeah, 100 percent. Ooh, is that an original PS1? That's the mini one, right? It, it's the mini one. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I'm missing a cable for it. I got this from a coworker that I used to work with. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's missing, like, I think the power cable. So I got to do something on eBay or something with that. Anyways, mm-hmm. this isn't the PlayStation anniversary podcast. We should get yeah, back to. It is to. not. This is we'll the get, we'll get to that Nintendo 64 25th anniversary super special awesome uh, discussion reminiscence uh, podcast. Uh, speaking of which, mm-hmm. uh, I figure I might as well wait. Hold on. <clears throat> All right, we're good. I um <laughs> recently on Cuz vs Cooking I had a really bad instance where I burped in the middle of a very important sentence and it was it, it brought great shame on my family and I wanted to make sure that I <laughs> didn't do that here. Uh, I can see that. Yeah, I'm just gonna quickly get into uh, my own N64 uh, experiences so that we can kind of broaden the conversation. Um, I don't remember when we talked about this on the podcast in the past, but I do know that we talked about how my first like big home console that I owned was a Super Nintendo. Um, and I basically obtained it as a hand-me-down from a older cousin. It came with a lot of classic games like um, the Donkey Kong Country Trilogy, Super Mario World, uh, the Power Rangers game for the SNES that wasn't based off of the movie because there were two of them. Um yeah. And so after that, like that console kind of got me indoctrinated into Nintendo. I had a friend at the time. This is actually the same friend that had the poster of Ratchet and Clank deadlocked uh, in the room um, who somehow had multiple Nintendo 64s. And they actually lent me one of the Nintendo 64s. Um, They did not lend me any games with it, but I was able to kind of collect um, a co- small collection of games over the course of the next couple of years. Uh, this collection included games like Ocarina of Time, of course, uh, Majora's Mask, of course, um, Pokemon Snap, uh, the two Pokemon Stadiums, and last but not least, uh, Paper Mario. Um, so not necessarily the most kind of subversive collection of Nintendo 64 games. In a way, I'm kind of jealous of you, Nathan, that you got to play something like Hybrid Heaven, which is like a true, like, you know, uh, cult classic, you know, hidden gem of an experience. Whereas all the games I played were, you know, I'd say pretty standard fair for, oh, these are like the must play Nintendo 64 games. Oh, and Smash 64 as well. Um, but uh, I hold all those games pretty near and dear to me, and I'm glad that I got to play them on the console at the time. Yeah, there were just so many weird N64 games. Like, I still even go back to things like Blast Corps. Mm. Yeah, that I think I think it's I think it's pronounced Blast Core. Oh, Blast Core. Sorry, I, mm, I, I feel like corpse at the right you time. get a you get a free pass on that one. Core. Yeah, that C O R P S yeah. is one of the words where you can mispronounce it, and nobody needs to call you out on it. I think that should be an official law. Uh, but yeah, Blast Core, uh, which was Blast, yeah. developed by Rare. I remember. I remember 
renting Blast Core at one point, and it was not what I was expecting. It was kind of it's kind of like a top down, it's almost like trans destruction, but like it's like your Transformers, but not you're you're like giant robots of some sort, right? Well, there were robots, but there'd be other destruction vehicles that you'd have too, and I don't think you get the robots right okay. away. I think you had to do okay. like destruction featuring the vehicles first. And a top it. down. Um, it's on Game Pass because it's part of the Rare Replay collection. It is? I believe so. I mean, that would make sense. That uh, Rare Replay collection basically had like every game that they've ever done that's not like based on like a big property that they don't have the rights to. Yeah, it's. Uh... Huh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in Rare Replay. I didn't know that. I, I have Rare Replay. Like, I bought it back when that came out and i didn't realize that was in there for some reason mm. mm-hmm. that's weird yeah you know looking back on it in retrospect it's kind of weird that i never played like a big rare n64 game on the n64 considering that like rare basically made a pap of that console's catalog of titles i mean you have of yeah. course uh blast core which we d- just talked about uh we have killer instinct gold for example we have Love obviously that one GoldenEye 007 and yep. uh, Perfect Dark, you know, classic shooters of the era. Uh, there's Diddy Kong Racing. Uh, and of course, there's Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie, which, I, and of course, uh, Donkey Kong 64. Those three games, Donkey Kong 64, Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, are the games that, in retrospect, I'm most surprised it didn't play because those games very much were kind of continuing the kind of collect-a-thon platforming tradition of the Donkey Kong Country trilogy of games on the SNES, which, as we talked about in episodes prior, I was really smitten with back in the day. And I do, Mm -hmm. I need to do like a playthrough of Donkey Kong 64 at some point, because I feel like it's, it is like, like there are games that I have not played that are holes in my backlog that like are far better than Donkey Kong 64 is most likely going to be. But I think that Donkey Kong 64 well, not the best game I haven't played is the most important hole in my backlog for reasons I just explained. I think that that that's one of those games I just I need to kind of get around to it and kind of check it off so I can say, all right, I played Donkey Kong 64. I was just say, don't forget Jet Force Gemini, too. And Jet uh, Force Gemini. The- yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to. Like I said, they're, they produced so many games for the Nintendo 64 that were, like, at the very least, cult classic, at the most beloved, and, that it's easy to kind of forget about some of them. Yeah, and, no, and then, it's like eight or nine games. Um, actually, it they might pr- be more they than produced, They produced all those games that were theoretically hits back then, that even, though, even if, you know, 11. some people miss them. 11 but, titles in yeah. like the five-year lifespan. Mickey Speedway Nintendo, USA. Nintendo let Microsoft buy them for some reason. Like. Yeah. What the. Well, and I think we were, we were still at peak Nintendo when they thought they yeah. could do no wrong and they had conquered Sega and they're like, ah, we'll just have other games come to our thing. And really the N64 and, was the beginning of a big downturn for them until the Wii. Yeah, and now 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 they just don't know how the internet works. So yeah, they, they figured out the internet for Mario Party. Well, did they? We'll see how it works with Mario Golf on Friday. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, it, from 
yeah, not to tangent too much, but from what I hear of that game builder garage, like you would think it'd be prime for, I don't know, a built-in search system or something like that. But no, it's, it's all creator friend codes. And apparently you have to go to a third party website to find those codes so that you, you can share your creations. It's, it's just like they did with Mario maker. It's the same bullshit. Boy, oh boy. Uh, I, just, I feel like I kind of just because they don't want people to make penises, just because they don't want people to make penises in their Nintendo products, they feel the need to inconvenience everybody like that. You just got to deal with the penises; they're going to happen, and ban just their accounts if they do it. Give penises them a warning. Penises are going to happen. Let people penis. I feel like we might have talked about this on the Donkey Kong Country episode we did a, little, a while back with uh, Patrick, um, but. What were both of your collective experiences with uh, Banjo Kazooie? Because again, another game that you'd think I would have played uh, at the time because I love the DKC games, but they kind of passed me by. And I'm kind of curious about you guys. Played it for the first time several weeks ago when I got an Xbox <laughs> Series X. <laughs> Good job. Um, I for me, Ban- Banjo Kazooie was like one of the, one of the cool games like a Mario 64 um it felt like because because it was kind of like a 3D you go into worlds action kind of game where you hunt down the the puzzle pieces are just stars it you know it was easy to make the tran- transition uh, into that the music notes were were kind of like coins um and, and and i just thought it was like okay so I'm, if they if they could, if they went from Mario 64 to this, imagine what they can do with Mario on a new console, and then they gave us Sunshine. Ugh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, or they, they actually gave us Banjo-Tooie first. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Banjo-Tooie. Um, yeah. And Conker's Bad Fur Day. And that. And, yeah, they did. play. Don't play Conquer's Bad Fur Day on N64. Play the Conquer Live and Reloaded on the original Xbox if you can. Yes, I've heard that. Did um, that game, was that a launch title for the original Xbox? Uh, sorry, for the 360? N- no, it came out at the tail end of the original Xbox. Um, and I I didn't play it specifically, but I did play uh, a demo disc that had Live and Reloaded on it. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Now, there was some disappointment that I like. So the whole reason I heard we couldn't have good RPGs on the N64 and this kept being a common thing that would come up was the Mm. lack of a disk like a disk drive because the cartridges were so expensive Mm -hmm. and they couldn't get enough space to store the games where the CDs gave them like Final Fantasy VII's three CDs. The next two are four CDs each. Right, the CDs um, afforded for a lot more memory, which obviously with a game like Final Fantasy is very important because there are so many, you know, exhaustively rendered, pre-rendered backgrounds in that game. But you also have games like Metal Gear Solid, right, which have a mm-hmm. crap ton of voice acting, for example. Yeah, and videos. And like, even if you go back and play the original Tony Hawk's, you get like 20 second songs of the songs in each of the each of the levels. Or mm. something like they're really cut down to try and make it work, and they remove all full motion video. Uh, mm. Same with like the wrestling games at the time. Um, 
So, yeah, no, it was interesting. Now, I was hoping that we'd see a little product called the 64DD come out. Oh, yeah. That would have been nice. Here. Um, but I think at that point, uh, instead of releasing it here, because initially that's where they talked about releasing Earthbound 64 before it became Mother 3. I went to GBA. Right. And like what footage exists of Earthbound 64, like people have kind of gone online and like exhaustively like compared and contrasted. It's like, oh, okay, this bar scene from Earthbound 64 eventually became this bar scene from Mother 3 and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Yeah. It, it's just interesting the stuff that could have happened. I remember you brought up Per Schneider, but he's got a wealth of Nintendo knowledge. Like he was with IGN. What? When including the, uh, Nintendo 64 DD itself. Yeah, he has one. Was, was the disk drive a response to the success of the PlayStation? I think so. Yeah, it definitely was. Because they, because they ori- Nintendo and Sony were originally partnering to make a console. And when that deal went sour, Sony made the PlayStation. And Nintendo did its own thing. So I, I, I just wonder if if the, the creation of the disk drive specifically was like at all inspired by the take the, the criticisms of not having enough space like that. Mm. I wonder. Yeah, well, no, I think that's 100% the case. I think they looked at it and went, okay, we've got limitations here. There's holes in our catalog we cannot fill. Like, we can just literally not have them on the PlayStation or on the Nintendo 64. We need to figure and, this out. And they, they, uh, Donkey Kong 64 is one of them. They sold games that had RAM uh, cartridges, RAM cartridges, right? That you would, you'd pop out the old one and put in this new red RAM that, that had more, more memory on it and, made thing every you could play every game with that but you know yeah you got that when you the, rented the games at blockbuster i remember that because i would get it the, and put it in and have to take it out and send it back to blockbuster there were so many like nintendo like expansion slots that just went un underutilized mm. yeah like you had there's the whole slot on the bottom that the disc drive would have sat on mm-hmm there's the memory replacement that you could do. Like they could have done even more at some point and made it, made it even um, more memorable. Is that, is that the word? <laughs> um, yeah. The, right. And, th- and then they did the same thing with the, uh, the GameCube. You had the, the, the slot on the bottom, which um, I've got my GameCube sitting right here beside me that you can fit um, a, the Game Boy Advance player into yeah. play GBA games. Yeah. Um, but the you, Super Game Boy. You know, yeah. Or or you could take that out and plug in the the broadband adapter or all that fun stuff. Wait, no. The Super Game Boy was for the Super NES. Yes, yeah, I was that, gonna say. And that that I had that that wrong. only played Game Boy games, not GBA. I, I think the 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 GBA player for the GameCube was just called like the GBA player. Uh. Yeah, yeah, it is the just the GBA player actually. Yeah, so yeah. So by the way, quick fun fact about the Nintendo sixty four DD: it was actually first announced in nineteen ninety five. 
Like this wasn't oh. like a, a mid console, like, hey, seems like uh, CD discs are being pretty popular nowadays. Let's announce this thing to like uh, up our game, like in the same way that, for example, Microsoft announced Connect partway through yeah. the, you know, Xbox 360's life cycle or uh, PlayStation announced Move part, partway through the three, uh, PlayStation 3. Like this was like planned not from the beginning, but like relatively early on. And it, it basically just kept getting delayed and delayed. Mm-hmm. Well, and it didn't have many games that even came out in Japan, I don't believe. And it wasn't even going to use cartridge like discs. It was going to be a really weird like CDs. It was going to be a really weird cartridge with the CD in it. Yeah, a, a weird proprietary thing that um, wouldn't yeah, have fixed that, Nintendo's problems as to why people no. wanted to develop for PlayStation because those discs literally cost nothing to make. Yeah. Yeah, it was primarily like a lot of like Mario um Mario like artists. Artist, yeah, Mario artist games, uh a expansion for uh F Zero and also infamously Doshin the Giant, which people, you know, begged to come to the West and eventually did come to the West on the GameCube and was not very well received. Um Yeah, I know. It, you- it had very few things that came out for it. Yeah. <sighs> um oh wow yeah i'm sorry i'm just i'm just looking at um what could have been um sim city 64 um there's there's some video of it like i'm guessing it's from like a like a space world 2000 but it in some instances it looks like the original sim city in terms of how it's how you build your cities Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I mean, the game did the, release. The, mix of... the game did release, just it only did? in Japan. Yeah, oh, this is one. Okay. It's one of the ten N sixty four DD games that did release only in Japan. It's yeah. it's looking a little actually. The more the more that's being played of it that I'm seeing here, um, it's a little more like uh, SimCity two thousand. But there was some like not not quite first person footage, but street level footage that you could you could see. It, that would have been so cool. Mm-hmm. No, there, there was some super cool stuff with it. Um, also, I feel like uh, talk about Nintendo 64 can't happen without discussing the very worst game to ever have been made and released. Superman. Uh, Superman 64. Or, um, and you'd never know it was called this, but Superman uh, The New Adventures um uh superman the new superman adventures as the box art has no name on it it's just him opening his shirt with the superman logo yep Mm. that's actually that yeah i feel like at some point somebody has to write like an article online about like all the video games that are known by a specific name or shorthand that actually have like a completely different name like Superman 64 mm-hmm. is a good example of this. It's called, it's not called Superman 64. It's called the new Superman adventures or just Superman, but everybody calls it Superman 64 because of its <laughs> infamous reputation. It's an easier shorthand. You say Superman 64 and you know exactly what you're talking about. Well, most people yeah. haven't played Superman 64, which I always find kind of funny, honestly. Um, like when they comment and tell talk about how terrible it was, it's just all based on secondhand talk about it because it's just nobody I, played it. I have played it. Um, probably it was probably about ten to 
12, maybe 13 years ago at a friend's house. Okay. Um, he was he was a game collector, and he had a whole bunch of games. And this was one of them. I was just like, I need to know. I absolutely need to know. And it's literally just it fly fly through rings before the timer runs out. down. And then you have like a quick like you got to react in like five seconds and rescue this person if you don't. Yeah, it's it's like they're dead. What is, what is it's like the the last level in Call of Duty Four where you have to there's terrorists on a plane and you got to take them all out and get to the end it's like that that quick decision making with a very imprecise control scheme and it's yeah it's it's atrocious i'll be honest too this was a game i was excited about i'm a big that's what i was just about fan. to ask yeah so um, you were anticipating I, this game i was anticipating this game they showed screenshots and like if you just saw the screenshots you're like wow this does look like the superman animated series maybe they got this figured out and they Mm -hmm. showed you like the good ones with the villains there and um like in like the nintendo power on ign no it wasn't ign 60 it might have been ign 64 at that point uh it could have been n64.com before illegally they had to change your name um but like you see the screenshots you're like oh this this might not be terrible and they're not doing any preview footage, and then it just launches like a big turd, mm, like yeah. nobody's ever seen before. Yeah. yeah. Again, to it's... what I was saying earlier about people forgetting that the game isn't technically called Superman sixty four. Like, I I think people do also forget that like this was a game that people anticipated. The reason why it's so you know, like infamously known as a terrible game is because so many people were looking forward to it. Theoretically, there are probably like way worse games on Nintendo 64, but nobody knows that they exist because they just did not have the clout going into them like Superman 64. No, this is supposed to be a big deal. Uh, People were very, very excited about it. And even for the end, and like my favorite part was that the multiplayer mode of this game involved racing through tubes in like vehicles in these tubes. That was the multiplayer. Yeah. I, I, I've heard of this multiplayer mode before. I've never actually seen footage of it before. So let's go check this out. Yeah, it sucks. Oh, wow. That's just, that's just Star Fox. Yeah. Yeah. It. Jesus Christ. What's funny uh, is that I remember during the PlayStation 3 360 generation, people used to give developers so much crap for their unnecessary multiplayer modes. Like, oh man, I hate the multiplayer in Bioshock 2 or Dead Space 2. But this is, this takes the cake. There were a lot of problems with this game. It wasn't a small amount. And like they threw the multiplayer in because I think Goldeneye had launched at that point. Uh-huh. And that makes sense. And yeah, and let's be honest, Goldeneye, which we haven't talked about, is a huge, huge like cultural phenomenon and what it yeah. was able to do. So they're like, well, how do I get that piece of the pie? And they're like, well, let's put a multiplayer mode in and not have it do anything with the actual game. Um, it was such a nightmare. Um, yeah, this is one of those big, big disappointments. Like, uh, I'm sure, you know what, I need to find like... Um, I, I've recently found this YouTube series about called what happened or what yeah. happened. Um, and I should see if he's got a Superman 64 episode. Cause if not, he should, I think so. Yeah. 
Uh, you did, however, earlier bring up uh, GoldenEye 64. That's one of those games that I also did not play on the Nintendo 64. And I mean, I feel like there it's a little bit more logical because at the time I wasn't like particularly into, you know, the first person shooter gun game scene. James Bond as a property was not something that really appealed to me. And so, yeah, it kind of just, uh, I'd say, passed me by for very, fairly obvious reasons. But I get the sense that the two of you have a little bit more experience with it. Uh, well, I definitely played it with yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I never owned GoldenEye, and I didn't care for the single player at all, but I enjoyed um, playing multiplayer with my friends in the four, the corner for like screen co-op. Mm. Um, and playing odd job and them being mad that I picked odd job. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I played with friends a bunch as a kid. Um, of course, being, being a little bit, um, younger than you, Nathan, you know, it wasn't quite the same experience for me. Yeah. Um, that probably would have been my halo. Yeah. On it. Honestly. Yeah. It, um, probably could have been the, um, GoldenEye 64 is it's just also one of those kind of like special revolutionary experiences of its time where it it felt looked and sounded like the media it was pretending to be. Yep. Um especially at the time like not so much it doesn't look the same and it doesn't exactly hold up anymore but it's um I, f- I found I had played this game before I had seen Goldeneye the movie mm. and having played this and then w- watching the opening scene of the movie where James Bond is literally running on the dam and and uh, bungee jumping off and then going into uh, going into what whatever the second mission is the the it's not the bunker. That's the fourth mission. Um, regardless, he he goes into the the toilets and goes through the science science lab and everything. Plants the bombs and and everything. And seeing seeing it play out in the movie, it, it was like my video game came to life because I saw it in the reverse order. Mm, um, and right. he takes off on the plane as everything's exploding and everything. It 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 was yeah it 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 itself is a masterpiece and it has no right to be. Yeah, no, it was really good. Um, I like I just remember the multiplayer back in the day, and like the N sixty four controller does not hold up in any way at this point. It's a really awkward piece of technology that it holds feels... up for Mario Party. Maybe that's it. Uh, Did either of you try using the technique where you like use two N sixty four controllers side by side to play the game uh, with quote no, unquote dual sticks? No, I didn't hear about this until after I had my. After after I had sold my N sixty four so I could get my three sixty. I, I didn't even know that was a thing, then. honestly. Yeah. Uh that would be super two awkward to try though. Two sti- it would be. Mm. Hmm. By the way I wonder if there's a go ahead. I wonder if there's a way to emulate that. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, I want to say very briefly in this game, like James Bond looks down at his watch to like access his menu and options. Do you think that Bethesda stole that for their 3D Fallout games? Because that's almost like exactly. Yeah, for the Pip-Boy. 
I think it was an interesting way to do a HUD in a lot of ways and menus that made it feel, I think you see a lot of inspiration taken from that in games. That definitely made it feel like super spy high tech at the time as well. Right. I like, mm-hmm. I, for, for a brief period of time, I had a, I had a smartwatch, um, and, uh, you know, it was not a very good smartwatch, so I don't have it anymore, but, Ooh. um, I absolutely changed the background of that to the, to, to look like the, the N64 GoldenEye watch and yeah. Yeah, no, um, I, I think there's a lot of cool things. Um, the other uh, game that I would be remiss to mention, um, and you guys probably don't have the same experience, but are the N64 uh, wrestling games. Mm. Um, and mm. WCW versus, it was WCW versus NWO. And then there was- yes. That sounds correct. Spell. Even there's though I don't second have- one. I don't have any experience with revenge. this oh, game. Revenge. Yeah. World Tour Revenge. And then the WWE got the license and then they launched uh, Res- uh, No Mercy, then Wrestle... No, WrestleMania 2000, then No Mercy. Which is, No Mercy is considered the best wrestling game of all time. Um, just yeah. in terms of how it played. You know, I don't have any interest in wrestling games, but uh, the Nintendo 64 wrestling games are those games that like, I feel have really... People have really kind of uh, expressed their love of them in the modern era. I feel like they've kind of become cult classics over the past few years in a way that I feel like previously you didn't really hear people talking about them side by side with many of the other Nintendo 64's greats. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is uh, when they do Paxomania at PAX. This is what they yeah, play. Yeah, I was just going to say the the PAX wrestling stuff. Um, yeah, they they play this. They don't play any of the modern ones. Like this is what it is. Yeah, and you have everybody join in. It was a like a good but simple control scheme that anybody could play. Um, uh, you know, just it, it was really well designed. Uh, as AEW, one of the new um, companies that's out there, they're currently making uh, games, and we're hoping to see more next year on, about their new AEW game. But they've said that this is their inspiration for what they're what they're making a modern version. So I'm curious to see what that looks like, but um even looking back at this now, look at that crowd. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's real rough. Now, this is no, the um, world tour, so this is the first one that came out. I think by the time you get to No Mercy it's better, but for okay, so I I grew up not necessarily a wrestling fan cuz I just I didn't end up watching it, but I wanted to like it. Mm-hmm. I was a, if anything, I I would have been at the time a Stone Cold fan, um, and I, but I you know I just I could never, I could never get the timing right to watch it or anything like that, um. But the wrestling games, on, especially on N sixty four, were probably the ultimate rental game. Yep. Um, in that. You could have fun creating a custom character, a custom wrestler and all that and having fun just wrestling and then you get to give it back. And if you get that itch again, you can just go spend a couple bucks again and do it again. Like unless you were like deep into like there there was a good way to have fun with these these old wrestling games. Um, and unless you were super into wrestling, like you didn't need to own it and it was 
totally fine. Well, and one of the, and I guess this goes back to the cartridge area and something you just can't get uh, nowadays, is that when you would pick up a rental, the save files on cartridges would still be there. So you would have yeah. other people's created characters. You would, like, all that stuff would be saved. Yeah. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, oh, this is some... Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, Stephanie McMahon was never a great wrestler. Um, oh, that's mm. Chris Benoit. He killed his family. Um, okay. <laughs> I keep <laughs> jumping around to different parts of this video. Oh, there's Hitler. Oh, there's yep. Mussolini. <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, this is but good. The, to, this, to end, this one's to, fine. To, to end things on a silver lining, uh, you were correct, Nathan. The crowds definitely do look a lot better uh, in uh, WWF No Mercy, which is what we were just looking at. Yeah, no, Um, those like are very special and I'm excited to see people take inspiration for those new AEW games and see what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Hopefully next year. Yeah. Uh, But before we uh, jumped into talking about WWE, WWF, I I did want to briefly ask if either of you had experiences with uh, Perfect Dark to kind of close out our rare discussion. Only only a little bit. My cousin had it. And it was like, oh, it's like Goldeneye. I was like, okay. And I played it there and I was just like, this isn't the same. Mm. I remember people liking Perfect Dark, but I didn't like the single player of Goldeneye. It wasn't for me. So like Perfect Dark did nothing to get me excited. Mm. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. So jumping off of our rare discussion, I want to go back and briefly talk a little bit about the Pokemons on the N64. Uh, obviously, yes. we here on PressYC already talked a lot about uh, Pokemon Snap uh, just a yep. little while ago. Uh, and I think, you know, all of us uniformly were like, yeah, Pokemon Snap, good ass game. Uh, but I want to take a little bit of a second to talk about the Pokemon Stadium games, because while the Pokemon Stadium games did not have a, you know, campaign in the way that something like Pokemon Snap did or the, you know, mainline Pokemon games on handheld consoles did, uh, those games were still a great ass time. Uh, I had mm-hmm. many uh, fond memories of like choosing a selection of rental Pokemon in those games, uh, battling it out with a friend and then you know, inevitably, like, there would be some bullshit that would result in uh, someone winning or losing at the game that shouldn't have won or lost. And so we'd be like, all right, well, we need to settle things in the minigame section of Pokemon Stadium now. And inevitably, mm-hmm. things would get really testy there. But it was always a, a ton of fun. And it, it's it was not surprising later on to learn that, like, the, the Pokemon Stadium games were made by the same uh EAD Nintendo development teams that worked on Mario 64 and the like because those games definitely had a a level of polish and fun to them that I I, that in retrospect really makes sense yeah the um I I remember as a kid when I first heard there was a gonna be a Pokemon game coming to the N64 Pokemon Stadium, they called it. Um, what I pictured in my head was essentially following the story of the anime, um, but with the gameplay of what is soon to be um, the new uh, Legends Arceus game. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. 
but that never would have happened on the N64. No, nope. <laughs> especially without like that. That that's how excited I was, and then to hear, oh, it's just battling, and oh, you can you can put your cartridge in with the attachment, and you know you could play on the big screen. I was like, oh, that's cool for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I still want to just lay on my back under this uh, heat lamp and 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 try to get the screen to light up properly it's, it's still a more enjoyable experience but yeah the like the mini games were like probably the best part of the pokemon stadium games personally i mean there there are very few duds in them i'll definitely say that much like e- each one of them i feel holds up in its own way maybe not always for the right reasons maybe for more rage inducing reasons but the the mini games they definitely have a a lasting legacy okay i just had an idea Uh oh do you remember do you remember there was a board game i think it was called pokemon 2ba master um i don't remember where you would go you would go around like the kanto map um and you know you're rolling a dice to try and get to a spot and there's these little chips would pop out and you'd have to like roll dice to see if you catch the Pokemon or if it gets away or whatever. Um, but imagine I, I'm imagining that kind of like game board. Um, hold on. I'm just going to Google board Pokemon board game. The thing is, is that there's quick. been like so much Pokemon merchandise has released over the past uh, two plus decades ah, that like, I totally believe called, what you're saying is real, by the way, AJ, but it's just, it's like, yeah. it totally uh, blew past me because there's just so much Pokemon stuff. Well, I recommend looking it up. It's called Pokemon Master Trainer. Okay. And it's it's the original one. Um, uh, it came out, I guess, in ni- uh, 99. Um, but it's... I- imagine this game board... But then in between when you have to like catch a Pokemon or something, it was a Mario Party like mini game. And mm. you're racing, trying to race to the end like Mario Party, but doing these Pokemon themed mini games. Like that's what I, that's the idea I just had in my head thinking about the 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 stadium mini games. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I just keep thinking that they could do Pokemon Party, like Mario Party. I mean, that effectively yeah. kind of was what the mini games were, but with like a yeah. board game and everything, like digitally. Yeah, make it all like automated and randomized, kind of like that, and like. Mm. I mean, they're they're coming out with a Pokemon MOBA. They can come out with a Pokemon Mario Party. Hell I yeah. still hope at some point we get a Nintendo Party, which is just like same with Mario Kart. Just start, stop making it just start Mario Start putting focused. everybody into it. Just yeah, put everybody in it. Put, you've got a long story franchise. Let's get some of these characters actually in these other games because you're not going to... I don't know where they take Mario 64 next or uh, Mario Kart um, after 8. Yeah. yeah. Um, with Mario Kart 9 and probably rebranding as Nintendo cart is a good way to go or smash mm-hmm. cart or something. Yeah. Yeah. That that would be okay. But would, would that be like rec fest? That would be cool. Uh, maybe. 
Now you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. Yeah, uh, potentially. It'd be like the, it'd be like the end. It'd be like the the think of the the battle mode in Mario Kart, but with all the other characters, and they all have special abilities. Yeah, no, no, uh, that'd be cool. Um, there's that would there's be cool. things they can do to spruce up. Um, I don't know. I would just like to see them adding more Nintendo characters, especially because. Uh, Zelda and Animal Crossing Villagers, or Link, sorry, and Animal Crossing Villagers came to uh, Mario Kart. Mm, yeah. So I, I am curious, uh, AJ, did you ever connect your handheld Pokemon games to either of the Pokemon Stadium games? Because that's one of those things where I always wanted to do so, but I just never had the exact yeah. like weird ass attachments that would allow me to. Yeah. So when I would rent Pokemon Stadium, it would they would rent it out with the attachment. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was fine. It's the problem was it wasn't on the super Nintendo. They had the, the game boy player. Yeah. And this was not, this was not that this only was only compatible with red, blue, and yellow mm -hmm. of the Pokemon games. So, in that regard, it was a little disappointing, if you could say. Hmm. But I, uh, I do also briefly before we move on from our Poke Talk, want to mention that there was also uh, another Pokemon game on the Nintendo sixty four that, uh, to what you were talking about earlier, AJ did actually mm -hmm. reference the anime uh, in that it featured kind of anime like visuals and Ash Ketchum. Yeah, it was Pokemon Puzzle mm -hmm. League, which I only played um years after the fact uh on the wii virtual console and mm -hmm. i remember being really excited to play it and then i got into it and i'm like oh but i don't really like puzzle games like this um <laughs> yeah uh I i'm sure it's like a i know that people love it it's like a yeah go ahead go for it yeah no i, I was just gonna say it's like a a virtual not virtual uh like a what like a poyo poyo tetris yeah exactly yeah versus game so and people yeah, who love it a, love it exactly yeah. it, it, but people like me are kind of like eh. like it, it's kind of like uh, when you i guess when you think about it weird comparison but it's sort of like it's generation's version of the legend of zelda crypt of the necronancer thing like uh -huh. I, I love zelda but like crypt of the necronancer is one of those games that if you love it you love it but it's hard as balls and i don't know that i'm ever gonna complete that game yep yeah that's fair I get you. Um, way earlier on, you know, we had a discussion about Nintendo 64's RPGs, uh, and we briefly brought up uh, Paper Mario there, the original Paper Mario, the one that's just called Paper Mario. Paper Mario. Uh, I'm curious if uh, what either of your experiences were with the game, with any. I rented it, and I think I beat it in a weekend. can't remember how mm -hmm. long it was. Maybe a it's little not, longer than a weekend. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's a Paper Mario game, so it's not, like, as long as some of its uh, role-playing game brethren, but mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty substantial in its own right. So, but yeah, no, it was, a, it was a good RPG. I liked the mechanics, because it was a turn-based, like, RPG. Mm. Um, one of the very few that it had that was good, and it used some interesting mechanics, because uh, as you attacked and defended, you would could do additional button presses which was really new for that genre yeah it was i believe a mechanic carried over from P super mario rpg on the snes but 
from my time playing yeah, Super fair. Mario RPG on the SNES, I don't remember it feeling nearly as good with that game. I think the the switch over to like the, the kind of 2D perspective when you're doing battles, I think made it way easier to determine, okay, it, it's at this exact point that Mario should uh, press the A button when he jumps on his opponent, or it's at this exact moment that Mario should dodge before his opponent lands an attack. I think the um, Super Mario RPG had an isometric like top-down isometric perspective, yeah. and I think it made it difficult to determine when you're supposed to press button prompts. Hmm. I, no, I get the I do sense, remember that. yeah, I, I get the sense, AJ, that you didn't really have much experience with this game. Nah, I might have, might have rented it. Um, I, hmm. There, there, there is some weird memory of Paper Mario locked up in my head, and I don't know if it was from me playing it or from somebody else playing it and me watching. Mm. But I, I remember the, the battle system being turn-based, and you could press the A button to like do extra damage. Yeah. Paper Mario, uh, the original Paper Mario, uh, it's... One of the the few games from the N64's library of games that, like, still to this day, I would be like, yeah, go ahead and check it out. You know, there are many yeah. games that have been released over the years, like um, Ocarina of Time, for example, that are not really kind of worth playing in their original format. You want to go for the 3DS remake of those games if you want to experience them. But this one is still competent enough in terms of its, like, just quality of life features in terms of... um like just it overall it's a visual aesthetic to it that i feel like you can dive into this game even nowadays in 2021 and you'll be totally fine um but i will admit it has been quite a few years since i played it last hmm. yeah uh jig sal's actually been playing this on stream our friend sal yeah um or for the past month or two uh he's been streaming uh paper the original paper mario so yeah. Hmm. I'm curious if there are any more we we've gone through, you know, the gamut of what the Nintendo 64 has to offer. We've gone through shooters, we've gone through rare, we've gone through RPGs, Pokémon, the, you know, ill-fated disk drive. Are there any other things that we wanted to bring up before we close out the episode? We've hit Majora's Mask. Yeah, That's I was just saying point. Majora's Mask is an interesting one because uh, we really haven't touched base on it. It was like the first because they just reused the assets of Orcarina but created a completely new twisted tale that yeah, they never really done before. Yeah, so they reused a lot of the assets and that saved them a lot of time, which is how they were able to turn it around in like two years. But um, yeah, it, it was it was technically my the first zelda game that hooked me hmm. um like i had uh link's awakening on the game boy um and i'd watched my cousin play on uh i'd watched my cousin play uh what was uh ocarina of time um and i went eventually went back and played that later but um yeah it something about link being only a kid and not growing up uh spoke to me at the time i was also a kid um about about the same age but then going on this crazy adventure where you put on masks and the dark spins 
that that the story go goes into as you're trying to solve the bomber's notebook um yeah the the anxiety of having to reset the clock every time uh was kind of a could have been an could be an issue kind of but and ha you know having to wait for the certain day for the clock to tick by and like oh it only happens on the second day of at like three o'clock this thing happens or whatever um but yeah it was it was ocarina of time uh where they they kind of fixed a lot of the things wrong with it but also expanded it in a way that resonated with a lot of people but not quite everybody that should have liked it mm. mm -hmm. i love it personally i i love it a lot as well it is you know going back to this game is funny because like i remember at the time you know something that was so appealing about the game is just how kind of dark it felt and you go back to it now and it's like ah, oh, this is kind of it, it's dark but i feel kind of like in the way that an rl stein uh goosebumps novel is dark not to say that there aren't some genuinely unsettling moments in it or some you know more adult subject matter that um the likes of which an rl stein novel doesn't really delve into but it's I think that, again, like with all the others, all the games, what what's most appealing to this game is its fantastical nature, rather than that it's specifically a little bit darker and grittier. And I, when yeah. I when I think about this game, the the thing that immediately I'd say comes to mind the most are just all the kind of memorable side characters. Ocarina of Time and also Link's Awakening before that had like some pretty memorable side characters, but this game I feel really cemented the legend of Zelda as a franchise where you want to be paying attention to you know everyone that you come across everybody that you meet along your quest is going to have something interesting to say or will just have some sort of quirk that will stick with you yeah absolutely yeah uh, I'm, I'm just going through a list of like the best games here and i'm not seeing anything else that's popping off my head uh, I do want to say something. So I played the um, Nintendo 64, not Nintendo 64, the 3DS remake of Majora's Mask um, like a couple of years ago. It was like one of the last games I played on the 3DS before Samus Returns. And um, it's a it's a solid remake that I'd say definitely improves on the game in a lot of areas, particularly from like a quality of life perspective of just making things a lot more manageable that mm -hmm. being said i do feel like it also it does i feel make a couple of changes here and there that i also wasn't a huge fan of like altering the design of the bosses to have these big kind of bulging eyes for example or like changing the layout of a couple of areas to make them look a little bit more cartoony and it's one of those things where like i think you should probably still play the um 3ds version of majora's mask if you're playing this game for the first time but i would say mm -hmm. if you if you're somebody out there listening to this podcast if you play um, majora's mask on the 3ds for the first time and you really enjoy it like i'd still recommend that you check out the 64 version because there are just like i said there are a, a number of small little changes here and there that i feel like give it a little bit of a different vibe that i feel is worth experiencing hmm. i just wish nintendo would they don't need to make a mini console. They they need to put this shit out on Their the virtual Switch library. virtual library. 
They need to do the same with the Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance. Like, come on. Do, do something mm-hmm. with, with this stuff, because... I don't know. It's, 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 it'd be a good idea, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't complain. Uh, yeah, I, I think they need to... Like, I'm surprised we haven't seen that evolution of this Nintendo Online service to include N64 games at this point. Like, they're there. Like, they've had them out, like, for the Wii and the Wii U. Multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. So why they haven't made the transition to the Switch Online service, which, let's be honest, as an online service, isn't great for what you're paying for. Hmm. Well, yeah, because... Like unless unless your switch is like your Fortnite machine, right? Which do you do you even need? Do you need to subscribe to the online service to play the free to play games on Nintendo? Uh, my guess is yes. I know they just Nintendo Xbox. They just, just removed. That. They yeah. They just removed that. And it was never a thing and, with PlayStation. And, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, I, I, I do want to just say here to wrap things out that I do think that if there ever was a moment for Nintendo to release a mini N64 console, this year would probably make the most sense, but I don't know if that's actually going to come about. Now, I do remember like the SNES Classic and uh, also the PlayStation Classic like having a very short uh, tail between them being announced and them being released so nintendo could still theoretically pull a a miracle out of their hats before the end of the year but i don't know that it's something that's going to happen we'll, we'll see what happens i'd prefer it's not another mini system i prefer they just use the online service they have but yeah nintendo's gonna nintendo nintendo's gonna nintendo all right wnds well, weird nintendo decisions weird nintendo also, decisions <laughs> I, I didn't make that. That's uh, Andy from Kind of Funny. That's his uh, coin term. Uh, they, always, they always find a Nintendo-like solution. I, I don't um, think that Kind of Funny would be upset about you uh, co-opting WNDs. I feel like that's one of those things that they want to spread to the world entire so that Nintendo can know that they make WNDs. I, I just want to make sure that I'm not taking credit for creating it and oh, sure. uh, created it, but it's a good term to use and it's been used quite frequently um, during during the Nintendo show. I heard them bring up WND several times. So, yeah. all right. Well, uh, with that out of the way, I want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode of Press YIZ. Uh, if you enjoyed what you just heard, be sure to share and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitch. Uh, you can also check out at PressYZ on Twitter to stay up to date on when we go live and join us on Discord at invite.gg slash PressYZ to keep the conversation going. Uh, next week's sh- topic of the show is TBD. Uh, as stated last week, we still are going to go over our E3 predictions at some point. So please don't ask us about that. Wit is on the road. Uh, until next time, thank you for playing. <laughs>